Hello again. Pray real quick and we're going to get started. Father, um, send your spirit on us, guide us, teach us. We can't have enough prayer. Um, And this is uh, hopefully a message that just sparks us to understand what's coming. We love you and thank you for who you are in your son's name. Amen. Cool part about this little thing is I think I have, I have my, I have a, I have a little pointer. So if there's a cat up there, I could do some amazing cat tricks. It'd be great. Um, God will give me justice. Anybody know what movie that's from? Of course, because I do movie quotes and movies are a big part of it. What movie is this? This is The Count of Monte Cristo. 10 points, but unfortunately points don't matter. So there you go. From The Count of Monte Cristo, this movie was made in 2002. It's Guy Pierce, Jim Caviezel. For those of you that want to know kind of the actors in it, Jim Caviezel was the one that played Jesus in The Passion. Um, great movie, great story. Where does this originally come from? What's Count of Monte Cristo originally? It's a book. Who said that? Good job. Do you know who the author was? No, okay. Huh? Dumas. Alexander Dumas. It's, it's French. And my second movie quote of the day will be that they talked about this in Shawshank Redemption when they were building the library. And they pronounced Dumas not so correctly. So there you go. Um, God will give me justice. The movie itself, if you, if you know the story, don't know, the movie is slightly different than the book in terms of the story. It kind of ties the story together. So my reference for what I'm about to talk about is the movie story and not necessarily the book story, okay? In the book, there are several themes that come about. The main character is Edmond Dantes. Dantes is just, he's a guy living in Marseille, France. There you go. He doesn't come from much. He doesn't have much. He's just a a simple guy working a simple job on a ship. He he works on ships that are just shipping cargo to and from France and so forth. Doesn't have an education. He cannot read and write. Okay? Emendantes is just a guy. Nothing special about him. But one of the things in the movie that is striking is how content and happy he is with the things that he does have. He has a job. He works hard at his job. He's loyal to the people in his job. He has a woman who he's going to eventually working to marry um, as a part of the opening of the movie. He's actually made captain of the ship that, that, that he's been working on through a series of events. Um, and things seem to be really good in Dantes' world. But then, unbeknownst to him, things are going to begin to happen in his life. He's going to be betrayed. A friend of his, who he thinks is a friend of his, is going to basically accuse him and, and say he's carrying a letter from Napoleon to separatists, because this is the time in France in which Napoleon had been exiled. So he's now being accused of treason by his very friend, who he thought was a friend of his, by the name, who, is, who is Mondego, and he ends up being the Count of Mondego. Mondego actually is, is the son of a count and eventually becomes the Count Mondego. Injustice. Things are going to go on in his life that's very unjust. He didn't deserve the treatment that he's about to receive. Favoritism and corruption, we're going to see in government. Favoritism applied towards things that people want that have power and corruption of that. 
as it moves forward. Persecution, he's going to go to a prison called the Chateau d'If. Chateau d'If is one of those deep, dark, secret security prisons. Basically, they throw you in there to never see the light of day again. Um, in this prison, every year, just for the sake of it, just because they want to, they give you a good beating just so you remember you've been there a year. Okay? Otherwise, they ignore you completely. They just shove some food in you once a day and take your waste bucket once a day. Selfish ambition, Mondego himself, who has everything, seems to want more and want the things that Dantes kind of has out of jealousy and discontent. Mondego, who has everything, actually betrays his friend who has nothing but the things that he wants. A good woman, a contented life, things that he thinks he just doesn't have at this point. The overall theme, might makes right. That's our world. It's been our world since it's been created. The world believes that who's in charge and power is the one that makes the rules. And that's the rules that have come across. Now in the story, Dantes starts working through these things that happen to him as he's in prison. At first he begins in fear, fear of what's happening to him. How did this happen to me? What's my crime? How am I doing this? And he actually... This phrase has actually been written on the wall of his prison. That's why that phrase is there kind of in rock. It's been written on the wall in his cell. And he uses the would God give me justice as kind of a theme to try and get through this time of severe, harsh penalty for nothing that he did. Doesn't know what's going on. The years are going by. He's getting beaten. He's becoming despair. He thinks about killing himself at this point. But along, come, along the way... Um, he calls him the priest, but it was a former soldier in Napoleon's army who is also in the Chateau d'If, is trying to dig a tunnel out and ends up digging into Dantes' cell. This, this guy is educated. He's a soldier. He can, he can read and write, knows how to do things, knows how to fight, and asks Dantes' help to try and dig a tunnel in exchange for actually educating Dantes, telling him how, teaching him how to fight, teaching him the ways, really, of the world at this point, that Dantes hasn't had to have. In that, Dantes begins to look at his situation and realize the injustices that, took on, that went on, and anger starts to build up, as it should. It's been six, seven years in the Chateau d'If. Nothing's going down. Nobody can come to see him. Nobody even knows he's there. His family thinks he's dead. They said he's dead. Um, so anger and hatred begin to build up in his life. All of a sudden, instead of despair, he replaces it with revenge. I'm going to get revenge and retribution against those that wronged me. Fight fire with fire, theme of the world. They come at you, what is it? They come at you with a a knife, come at them with a gun. Uh, Leave the gun, take the cannoli. (laughs) A couple people understood that one. That's the godfather, but anyway. Um, Enact justice. He wants justice for himself. And in the story, the priest also lets him know right before the priest dies that, by the way, the reason he's in the Chateau d'If is because he would not reveal the location of the treasure of Sparta to Napoleon. And he reveals it to Dantes before he dies. Dantes finally escapes, goes find the treasure of Sparta, which is on the Isle of Monte Cristo. 
That's why he's called the Count of Monte Cristo. He takes upon the name of Count, and he becomes one of the most wealthy men in all of France. With that wealth, what do you think he now has the capability of doing? You get what you deserve. Dantes' life revolved around that. I bring this story up because I'm just going to talk about it from my perspective. The last, let's say, four years of my life in this world. Um, As Christians, or even just as conservatives in general, we've been seeing this trend towards, you know, you got the 60s and the peace, love, movement and, and the, the, this general movement towards things that are not Christian. That's the best way of putting it. I'm not going to get into all of it. I think we have an idea of what we're talking about. And they've moved slowly over the last 50 years, but four years ago, who's in office at this point? As president. Who? Donald Trump. Donald Trump's in office at this point. And things begin to happen at a rapid pace that we're seeing in the media, um, that we're seeing from him, that we're seeing from all kinds of sources that began to cause fear in my life. Then March of 2020 happened. Okay? What happened in March of 2020? COVID. 15 days. Right? all of a sudden, the acceleration of things that I didn't see that was just. Because soon after COVID, what happened in about May, March, and June, what one incident kind of triggered a whole nother series of events that this world got a whole lot more fearful? What? George Floyd and the riots that ensued. And let me tell you something, that fear went from about a five to about an eight real fast. And then it just began to tumble. And let me tell you something, over the last two years, oh, there we go. I felt betrayal, betrayed by our government, betrayed by those in charge, um, betrayed by people that we seemingly have trusted in life all over the place, betrayed by educators in our school systems. Injustice, I've seen injustice. Here is, here's a group of people rioting and burning down a city, right? And nothing's being done. Favoritism and corruption. If nothing describes our political life in the United States more then favoritism and corruption, I don't know what it is. And that's across all political spectrums and parties, guys. I've always, I've said it before, but poly means many. Ticks, blood-sucking creatures. (laughs) That's actually true. Selfish ambition playing out in this world. People seeking their own desires above all else no matter what. Might making right, whoever makes the rules is the rules. Jealousy and discontent. Critical race theory is nothing more 
than jealousy and discontent with where my life currently is and I'm placing blame somewhere else. It's actually, I talked about it before, before actually it was, it was the rage. It's based on conflict theory. Conflict theory says there is an oppressed and there is an oppressor. These parallels we see from the story of Count of Monte Cristo in our world today. And what they did to me created fear. That fear turned to anger and hatred. I wanted retribution. I want to see right done. I want to see justice done. By God, after a period of time, I want to fight fire with fire. And wherever that can end up leading. I want to enact justice. I want them to get what they deserve. Now, I kind of let the slide go away, but I'm going to have to do this because, like I said, movie quotes are a part of me. Fear is a path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. There you go. Okay. I've had practice. But this is the cycle that I was going down. I wake up in the morning, I read news. I listen to news. I watch news. Anger starts to build. I go to work. I talk to other people who have the same fear, the same anger. Anger starts to lead into hate. You hate these people. And let me tell you something. Nothing good happens in your life when you focus on the anger and hate in your world. This also describes every bit of what's going on in social media right now. Why is Twitter, Twitter, Facebook is not as much, but it's still there, but let's just say Twitter. If somebody doesn't have a purpose in life, nothing creates purpose more in their life than anger. They're not even offended at what they're saying they're offended at. They're just tweeting out they're offended because they, somebody could be, because they want to be angry. This is our life. It started to hurt my life. It started to affect me. It started to gnaw at me. It started to gnaw at those relationships I have with people. I began to not see those real positive relationships in my life as as positive anymore because they were trying to keep me from my hate, my anger. But I want justice. On on the frame of that, is there anything wrong with this statement? God will give me justice. It sounds good. I want God who's the mediator of justice, to provide justice. But I do also slip this me in here real quickly. Me. I want my justice. Because the real question becomes this. What justice should God give me? So, open this up, and we're going to find out a little bit about the justice that we deserve. Romans 3.23, very familiar passage, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we flip real quickly, one page for me, maybe two pages for you, to 623. 
and we find out that, and I'll read it exactly as it reads, even though I can quote it, for the wages of your sin is death. What do you deserve? And is that far worse than anything Edmund Dantes went through? Is that way worse than anything that I was going through in trying to figure out the fear of COVID and everything else? This is eternal separation from God. That's what I deserve. Romans 5, or Isaiah 53, 6. Isaiah 53, 6, pretty common passage. Go over to that and I have it marked here. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Does that, Jim, does that count you? That counts Jim. That counts Josh. That counts everybody. All of us. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20. What does Jesus say there? Matthew 5.20, Jesus is talking about Pharisees here. What does he say? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, which were the gold standard of religious law of the time, you will not receive the kingdom of God. And then on James 2.10, kind of speaks it right directly, puts it in your face. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of them. So do I really want justice? In that, let's open up to uh, Matthew 18. We're going to go Matthew 18, 23 through 25. What happens to us when we seek our justice? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Let me stop here for a second. This is the New Living Translation. I do suggest, I've talked about this, I teach a class every other Thursday night, we've talked about translations. Um, One of the awesome things is that you should probably do is find a translation that you're not familiar with, but that's solid, that's got scholarship to it. Mine, for, you know, mine, mine has always either been the NIV or the New King James. That's kind of been what's been my familiar scriptures that I've, I've studied from. I did very little in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation brings a different light to it. And in terms of this, owed him millions of dollars. I love that because I think the other versions say, you know, a hundred denarii or whatever, and it's hard for our brains to comprehend what that meant to people back then. What he was basically saying owed him a whole lot of money. And so millions of dollars here is a much better translation to us today because it actually gives us something. So owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Did he owe the debt? Did he deserve to pay the debt? Did he deserve everything he was about to get? Okay. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. 
Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to his fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down and begged him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called him called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. You should have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Caution. Be careful what you ask for. It may, not be it may not be what you want, and you may just get it. I want justice. This is, an, um, this is a Christian nation. I need to fight for the rights for, for all of these things that are going on. I guess I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. Anyway, that's, that's Hulk Hogan's introduction music. Myself, my, my fault. Brain. It's not that. Yeah. We look for, seek, and go after the thousands of dollars when we've been forgiven millions. So I bring that up because now it just comes down to. This world is moving in a direction. Anybody in here who absolutely denies it probably is not looking or watching or paying too much attention, right? Kind of agreement that world moving towards a place that uh, we're, we're closer today than we were yesterday to the end times, right? And it's accelerating. So if I'm not to be angry in righteous indignation for standing up for what God wants for, for the world, like God needs help fighting evil. He doesn't. What then, if, if that's not the case, if that's not supposed to be my, if I'm not supposed to follow the ways of the world, what am I supposed to do? What attitude am I called to by the scripture to tell me how I should be? That leads me to this. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus came. True injustice was done to Jesus. Not, at some level, I see injustice, but guys, I deserve quite a bit of the injustices that I think are happening to me. Every day, 40 times a day, I find a way to deny my creator. 
And if you're trying to be yourself, you do it yourself. We deny the one who created us. And he forgives us, the millions. Jesus came and owed nothing. And yet, tremendous injustice was done to him. The greatest injustice was done to him. And the very God of the universe died a criminal's death on a cross. So what's our attitude? It begins, have the humility of Jesus. Secondly, so I'm now giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Basically, what I'm telling you is be like Jesus. Now, cool saying, bro. Okay? But that's not as easy as it sounds. And it's not. We don't have this ability to turn on the Jesus switch and say, I'm going to act and behave and do exactly like Jesus. Because guess what we have in our life? We have fear, we have anger distrust, a little bit of hate, selfish ambition, desires. Those things are there. They don't go away. We have to handle them properly. Our example is Jesus. As those things come into our life, then we need to figure out how do we handle them? How do we put aside those issues so that we can be who God wants us to be. That leads me to the next series. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your life and humbly accept the word God has planted in your heart for it has the power to save your souls. Humbly accept the word. Step one, in humility. God is God and I am not. His word is truth. Mine is not. I should seek his desires. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So step one, Step before God in humility. Guys, we're going to have these issues. You're going to have these trials. It's coming. And it's not going to get easier. You've got to find a way to deal with this better than let's all get up together and, and go fight the power because it ain't going to happen. But wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers. Is this not the exact opposite of what the world says we should be? Pretty much, if you go after the kingdom of God and seek the things of the kingdom of God, you will find that almost every level... God's desires are the exact opposite of the world's desires. Might makes right, makes right. Blessed are the meek. Get what you deserve. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So we want to seek peace in in humility in God's word. Well, okay, that's great. How do we do it? Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How do you get his peace? What do we do? Don't worry. Pray. This is not complicated. The word doesn't make it complicated. We do. We find ways. We find loopholes. We find the the little nuances that, well, the common expression is, yeah, but... Yeah, but you don't know my situation. Yeah, but the vote really was for Trump and they they counted it against him. Yeah, but we find those everywhere we go. But you know where yeah, but doesn't exist? God's word. There are no yeah, buts in God's word. I challenge you to find the places where it says, fight the power. Stand up for for the stand up for God in the midst of all of this and become his evil slayer. He has evil under control. That he, he's in control. He's okay. He doesn't ask us to fight that fight for him. He asks us to seek peace, to be peacemakers in meekness, in gentleness, in faithfulness to him the exact opposite of everything that we think we should do. So I put it like this. How do we do this? In humility before God, we accept the truth in God's word. We seek peace with a gentle and merciful spirit. Pray for it and ask your father and he will answer you. That's what he does. This is not complicated. We have a world moving forward, guys. It's going to, it's going to hurt. Um, it's not going to get. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm not telling you anything surprising here. You need to be prepared for it, because otherwise you will be angry, hateful, spiteful, ready to pick up a fight at a moment's notice and cause a massive amount of suffering, both to you and to the people around you. That's coming. And people around you will do it too. We're asked to do something different. Elliot, you guys can come up. I kind of ended with this, and then Josh McCauley happened. Thanks, Josh. It's your fault. Um, Thursday. Because there's a piece here that we tend to really miss aside from all of this, because we miss this, for sure. There's a one more piece that we miss to how are we going to do this? Be humble for God. Pray to do the things that he asks us to do. Casting aside the fear, casting aside the anger, because we're going to have them. We've got to find a way to cast them aside. 
God will grant it, but he does it through a very big source that often we neglect. And let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. How are we going to do this? Is it all on our own? Do we just pray? God will take care of it? No. We get together. We encourage one another. We find ways to develop these systems of peace and love and mercy in our lives. Because guys, sometimes when we get together, we do talk in terms of a little anger, a little hate. We have our muddle huddles. They happen. I'm not going to sit here and deny it. But we got to find ways to break those, those molds together and bring it in. But the biggest thing is this. Getting together, encouraging one another, and he leaves one more line here that I would just present to you, and then we end. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, is the day approaching, guys? <laughs> Father, we love you. We come before you because we are sinful humanity. We are going to experience anger. We're going to experience fear. And those are going to drive attitudes and sinful desires in our life that is going to be harmful, mainly to us, but also, and sometimes even worse, to those around us. Our tongue puts it at odds with you very often. It puts us at odds with other people. Slow to speak. Listen quickly. Slow to get angry. Does that describe us? Probably not. But you have given us the source and the ability to deal with these issues in our life. And it's in your word. But we have to come before it in humility, we have to pray to you to give us peace and to have us seek mercy and peace in a world that says we should do anything but. We love you and thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus, for the fact that you've given us forgiveness for millions. And I ask as we go into our life that we find ways to forgive those people, the thousands, the hundreds, and the tens that we, they owe us. Because that's how we're going to share your love, your mercy, and your grace. We love you. Be with us the rest of the day. In your son's name, amen.